We take a look at the first X-Men reboot in Uncanny X-Men Masterworks Volume 1. And then, Everybody Hates Batman in Batman Beyond Volume 4, Target Batman, straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. If there was any uh, creation of Stan Lee's during the Silver Age that didn't quite work as it should have, uh, it was the X-Men. The very concept of the X-Men uh, of these misunderstood and hated outsiders who were heroes, I think, you know, from the start had good potential, but it uh, did not gel in the same way that Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or even Stanley's runs on Captain America or Thor did. And they had various creators come in to try and make these characters uh, and this series work better, and then after more than 60 issues, something weird happened with the X-Men. They stopped releasing new issues. However, they didn't cancel the book. Uh, they actually printed about 30 different reprints of uh, old X-Men stories. It's like people at Marvel really did see the potential in this title and wanted to find some way to make it work, and so they just worked constantly to keep it alive. And it was resurrected in 1975, beginning with Giant Size X-Men number one. And we're going to take a look at that comic, as well as the seven comics that followed, uh, in uh, X-Men number 94 to 100. Giant-sized X-Men number one has Charles Xavier going around uh, trying to recruit new X-Men to go and rescue uh, the original X-Men, who we learn have been trapped on Krakatoa. And uh, this uh, team that goes in to rescue... Uh, the uh, existing or, or older X-Men includes, of course, Cyclops, the original leader of the X-Men. And then you have Sunfire, Banshee, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Thunderbird. And they're all recruited. It's, it's really, you know, it's really good, uh, stuff as, uh, you get a glimpse of their powers and Xavier makes his plea, makes his pitch and gets them to agree to come along and help on this, uh, particular mission. And so they arrive at Krakatoa and, uh, eventually they discover that Krakatoa is not just an island, but it's a giant mutant life form, which is just a fantastic idea. And the X-Men have got to fight their way out. I mean, and it is just uh, some amazing uh, fight scenes, the way this issue uh, works and is set up. And it actually leaves Charles Xavier with all of the old X-Men and all of the new X-Men uh, together without a firm resolution as to what happens next. 
Uh, but we do learn that when the X-Men resume a publication. Now, I, I'm not going to like recap everything in great detail, but I will talk about, in general, how these books uh, end up working. First of all, in issue 94, you have a situation where all of the old X-Men, except for Cyclops, decide to leave. In addition, Sunfire also leaves in a bit of a huff, but he tends to be one of those very temperamental characters. He was somebody who existed uh, before. While some of these characters are were, in fact, uh, created in giant X-Men uh, number one. Uh, including Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Thunderbird. But the team that's chosen, the writer Chris Claremont and the uh, penciler Dave Cockrum really uh, have a strong sense and feel for how these characters will work. And as a team, it's an incredibly strong team, very well balanced, a lot of different abilities. And in some ways, I think it works better because you have a much more uh, international uh, team with a lot more uh, variety. You have Storm uh, coming from Africa. You have uh, Nightcrawler from Germany, Colossus from Russia, and Wolverine from Canada, Banshee from Ireland, and there's also a wider distribution of ages and backgrounds, whereas the original X-Men were, uh, you know, some nice white college kids. But all of these characters have these really strong epic moments. And I love Dave Cockrum's art on this because he's able to, to take, you know, all these epic moments and to make the powers look so big. Uh, and you just really get a sense of excitement. And the art is exciting throughout the entire book. And there are great, uh, great visuals combined with some really solid writing of these characters that are a lot more interesting than the original X-Men and certainly just interesting in their own right. Now to continue on with the issue by issue, uh, in issue 94, Count Nefaria seizes Valhalla Base, uh, which is where uh, NORAD is, and has plans to seize uh, nuclear weapons and hold the world to ransom. And the Avengers are unable to make it, uh, but Beast decides, who is not on the X-Men at this point, but is part of the Avengers, decides to go ahead and say, hey, give the, uh, give the X-Men a shot on this, you know, fate of the world thing. And the general, uh, does not express a whole lot of happiness that he gets the X-Men instead of the Avengers. But this X-Men team just goes in and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, there is a cliffhanger, uh, you know, will the X-Men survive at the end of issue 94, but in issue 95, they storm the base and are able to uh, succeed. However, Count Nefaria is making an escape and Thunderbird uh, actually goes ahead and jumps on uh, his plane and ends up seeming to uh, blow up his plane and actually die in the process. I have mixed feelings on the death. Um, I, I think that 
it does develop Scott's uh, character. Uh, as we see, Cyclops really has trouble dealing with this, particularly in issue 96. But we don't feel as much impact of it since Thunderbird was an original character and he was just in John X-Men number one and these two issues before he died. So it doesn't have as much emotional resonance for the audience. Issue 96 is a bit of a transitional uh, issue because there, there's essentially a lot of little things uh, going on in the book. You have Scott dealing with the death of Thunderbird, and uh, you also have the uh, X-Men getting a new housekeeper uh, named Moira McTaggart. And you have some uh, a scene with Scott Lang, uh, who is working on a research project on mutants for the government, uh, that really does set the stage for some stuff that happens later on in the book. And then at the end, you have this really, um, you know, this uh, extreme uh, dragon creature attacking the X-Men uh, in their headquarters and the X-Men having to fend them off. As usual, it's a great fight, but it's kind of it kind of feels like they said, you know, we are several pages into this book and we don't have a plot. Uh, well, let's just have a dragon attack. Uh, issue 97, you have a couple of characters uh, who had appeared uh, towards the end of the original X-Men run, reappearing, and uh, this time they are uh, under some uh, mind control. Uh, Lorna Dane and Alex Summers, who's uh, uh, Scott's brother, are uh, enthralled by uh, Eric the Red of the Shi'ar, and there's some fighting, and I think I, I do admit that I kind of miss some of the impact of this character-wise, other than understanding that Alex was Scott's brother, and that's I, I think because I have not gotten that far into the point where uh, Lorna actually joined the X-Men for a time, uh, but it does end with uh, Scott having a chance to stop his brother and Lorna from departing uh, by shooting them down and refusing to do it, and Wolverine objecting. This may have been my least favorite, but I also feel like this is probably building to some stuff that happens later in the run, even though if it doesn't occur in this book. And then you get issues 98 to 100. And uh, it actually starts out uh, with this, you know, really Christmassy scene of the X-Men just hanging, um, you know, hanging about for the ho holidays, and suddenly the Sentinels return and attack. And uh, they start kidnapping uh, X-Men. They're able to kidnap uh, uh, Professor Xavier. They're able to get uh, Jean Grey and uh, some others. And uh, so the remaining X-Men, they find a scientist, and they head up into space. And uh, there is a lot of difficulty in getting up to there, but they manage it uh, by the end of issue 99. They're on the space station, and suddenly you have the new X-Men being challenged see, by what seems to be the old X-Men, including another version of Cyclops. 
and uh, they fight them for a while, and eventually they discover that they are uh, androids, uh, that uh, Stephen Lang created them as uh, these uh, ex-Sentinels with similar abilities to the X-Men in hopes of taking down mutants with them. But the actual X-Men are able to defeat them, and uh, they uh, are able to free everyone, but unfortunately, uh, Lang's men have skedaddled from the base they're on, and the whole thing is in danger of being wiped out by solar flares. Fortunately, they have a shuttle they can get away in, the one they came up with. Unfortunately, the autopilot has been damaged, and... While there is shielding throughout most of the rest of the ship that would protect uh, the passengers from the solar flare, it wouldn't protect the bridge and somebody would have to remain on the bridge and bring the ship back to, to Earth. And essentially, whoever does that will end up being incinerated. Jane Grey actually volunteers to do this because... Uh, she has telekinetic powers and is able to, uh, with those, do the work of the entire flight crew. And she gets into the mind of the doctor who brought them there and uh, essentially is able to pull out all the information on flying the spaceship. Scott Summers is not a fan of this, but she knocks Scott out and she resists efforts to discourage her from doing it. And so she's flying the... Uh, spaceship uh, into the atmosphere to and at that point while she is uh, doing re-entry scott wakes up and uh, is tr determined to try and go stop her but at that point since they've already left it's really pointless they, essentially they would all end up dying so the other x-men have to restrain him while Jean, uh, you know, does this uh, suicide mission thing. And the int the book ends with uh, Scott, you know, dejected because of what's happening to Jean. And Jean finally getting that exposure to the solar flare and screaming out Scott's name as issue 100 and the first volume of Uncanny X-Men Masterworks comes to an end. This is was a really good book. You know, you hear about the X-Men, and in some ways, uh, you know, they are a bit impenetrable. You know, generally there are multiple X-Men titles. Uh, so many characters, it's really hard to track. And you also have some runs that are not uh, quite uh, good uh, with all of those books that have been written. But you read this one and you get a sense of how they got the X-Men right. And this is just an incredible run of comics. I won't even ding it for ending on a cliffhanger. Uh, because, you know, the original readers would have to wait. And, you know, not having read uh, issue 101, I have no idea, you know, what was ahead story-wise. And I think it does make sense. I, I did like issue 100, even though it was only the seventh issue with this particular team. They made it feel like this big, epic uh, issue. And everything that, these, that this particular X-Men group does is just absolutely epic. I love the team. Uh, dynamic. Uh, you know, if there were criticism, there are, you know, I thought uh, 
there was a, a lot of uh, lightness, say, in issue 96, where it was a bit light on th- substance. And Banshee is uh, just very stereotypically Irish, uh, with less uh, uh, defining character traits. So then again, this is only seven issues in, and it's a big team, so you can't expect everybody to be fully defined. Uh, and I really enjoyed this. This is an incredible run of uh, comics. And if you've ever thought the X-Men might be a little bit overrated, uh, you will at least be able to understand why so many people love that uh, group. So I will give this book a rating of uh, very classy. It's really a must read. We continue on now to Batman Beyond Volume 4, Target Batman. And uh, essentially, the book starts out with a bit of a, an issue that's easing us into the plot line. And, you know, after the previous book, uh, the former Ten of Spades, uh, she had uh, come in and fought on Batman's side. And Matt, uh, Terry McGinnis's brother, had donned the... Uh, Robin outfit in order to help Terry out. Well, in this volume, Bruce informs uh, Terry that there is no uh, putting the genie back in the bottle now that Matt's donned the Robin costume, that that's going to be something that Terry's just going to have to deal with. So it's, yeah, it is really problematic because essentially, uh, Bruce is saying, Terry, you're going to have a partner and it's going to be your brother, whether you like it or not. Um, and then we get a uh, 10 from the Royal Flush gang uh, showing up uh, and she uh, meets with Terry and they have a conversation followed by making out. And if you recall from the previous volumes, he's been working to get back together with Dana, who comes up and sees this uh, making out going on. Uh, our hero, everybody. Uh, and then uh, Batman's called to a bank robbery where Commissioner Gordon is. And he tells Robin to just secure the area, you know, make sure the people get safe. And Robin goes over to uh, help out Commissioner Barbara Gordon, who doesn't really need the help despite being a middle-aged lady. Uh, But uh, Terry quickly defeats the Jokers who are robbing the bank, but who are all talking about him being a demon of some sort. And uh, Terry's able to defeat him, but because Matt didn't get everybody out of the uh, bank in the brief time that Terry was doing this fight, he tells him that he is done as Robin. Jeannie, back in the bottle. However, in the rest of the comic, uh, Batman runs into a situation where everybody hates him and views him as a demon. And this increasingly comes to pass, even with uh, people who knew him, like uh, Dana. Though, to be honest, his behavior was pretty bad. I don't know if I would go for demon. But uh, at any rate, uh, the entire city in a ridiculous level is out to get Batman. With Commissioner Gordon even being willing to use very heavy uh, ordinance against him. And the average citizens uh, trying to tear him apart. And... uh, 
Bruce ends up sending in Matt to go and uh, help out Terry. And he, uh, Matt flies out in the bat plane and is able to help for a little while, but unfortunately he succumbs to the gas and starts trying to uh, kill uh, Terry as well. Um, and it's, uh, turns out that we're dealing with a situation where it's the new Scarecrow. And the reason the new Scarecrow exists is because of something that Bruce Wayne did as Batman. And, uh, this, uh, story also guest stars Jack Ryder, aka the Creeper, now an elderly newsman who, uh, chews, uh, Bruce out for various things. Um, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole plot on this one, uh, because it, it stands still a lot until Batman's finally able to get to and deal with the Scarecrow. Uh, this book, uh, you know, just as a series, it seems to be really stuck in a formula, particularly the last two books. Uh, there seems to be an idea that your typical Batman Beyond story needs to, you know, deal with uh, Batman facing a villain who is out to get him personally. And that the villain have some tie in either to the TV series or to some past action that uh, Bruce has taken. And that we need somebody in the story to take Bruce down a peg. Uh, you know, I think very similar uh, formulas uh, that seem to be replicating the type of stories that were done often on Batman Beyond. But at this point, it's a bit repetitious. I mean, just to be honest, it's flat out repetitious. Because what I think made Batman Beyond work as a TV series is that we um, got to imagine uh, this... Uh, Gotham of the future, this whole uh, neo-Gotham, and you had uh, new villains and new types of crime that uh, had occurred uh, based on changes in societies, and Batman dealing with a lot of villains, some of which had nothing to do with him or Bruce. At some point, you have to have your character go out and work cases where you're not the target and it's not about you and what you did in the past. It's about saving people. It's about doing the heroic thing. It's about characters and developing relationships and interesting guest characters. But we're not getting that in this particular run. I'm pretty much done with uh, Batman Beyond comics at this point, uh, at least uh, in the form that they're in now. Uh, because, and I'm giving this one a rating of not classy because it's stuck in a rut and it's determined to push certain plot points. Like, I, I will say that I'm not, you know, stridently opposed to the idea of, uh, Matt becoming Robin, but it's really being pushed in a way that's just not believable based on how Bruce operates and his general, uh, just general way he does things uh, because Matt is clearly not ready and Bruce is encouraging and pushing him out without making sure that he's got the sufficient training and that he matches well with uh, the Batman that he's with 
And so, yeah, I just don't think this uh, is working. So, again, rated not classy. On the other hand, we do give a big rating of classy to Uncanny X-Men Masterworks Volume 1. Uh, really does set some sta- the stage for some great things ahead and ends on a really strong cliffhanger. All right, well, that will do it for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, ClassyComicsGuy at uh, gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. And be sure and rate and review the show on iTunes. From uh, Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>